All right. Hey, this is uh, musicians having coffee and talking about stuff. You got your coffee? I do have it. It's almost gone. Yeah, this is, uh, this is Mr. Dave Maros. There we go. There's the special podcast cup that I talk about every single time. That's right. I saw it last time. The one you did with Al was hilarious. I loved it. <laughs> He's so funny, man. You guys both and your memories, the things you, you remember. You remember every little detail. Well, uh, there was a lot of things I didn't remember. I had forgotten all about that um, the Mexican wedding that we played in San Fernando. That was like my first paying rock gig, I think, wow. with, the, with the riot and all that. It was like... <laughs> <laughs> Those are the best. (laughs) There were so many things we didn't talk about. We'll have to do another one. You wonder whether to keep playing or not. Oh, you've been there, right? Oh, yeah. I I remember once this thing started. I was up on stage and this thing started out in the audience. Right. It happens a lot. I was just playing. And then a beer mug just flies across the vision. And it's like, whoa, this is okay. Here we go. Here we go. And we kept playing. And the singer started into a country tune and made up lyrics about a fight at Slick Willie's, which was the name of the club. Oh, that's clever. It was, it was genius. It was one of those things that I wish I had on, on tape. Wow, that's great. When I was first starting to play bars and stuff, the big gig was uh, this place called the Shire Road Pub, Tuesday through Saturday. And they paid the band $1,000 for the week. So you could make, you know, four piece band could make a two hundred and fifty bucks a week. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, that was totally great. Yeah, playing, playing those, you know, what, what, I wouldn't even call what we did top forty. It was just dance band stuff, you know, yeah. whatever would get people on the floor. So it might be Brown Eyed Girl or Satisfaction or you know Twist and Shout or whatever. Top forty from the decades. Yeah, right. Whatever people will dance to you know and a lot of the stuff that we played i i actually really liked um sometimes it would actually cheer me up yeah i'm waiting for you to say i never had that experience no i love playing (laughs) gigs i mean i thought every gig was just the best playing these little places that i would just be mortified in now you know it was just like man i'm doing a gig I'm playing. I'm playing bass, man. You know, it was, <laughs> really. I had so much energy for that stuff, and the right. more and you used energy, to dance all night, didn't you? Dance all night too. Yeah, we used to, this band, one band I was in, we broke stages. <laughs> <laughs> what? We'd go so crazy. We broke two stages. We went through the floor of the stage because wow. we like had synchronized jumping things. Really. You know, made with not too good of carpentry, right? And we one one stage was a stage, and it had an add-on front, and we we broke the support beams for the add-on part. So part of the stage was still up, and the front of the stage went, went down, and all the mic stands were like on an angle and stuff, and we wow. were down like at waist level. Oh wow! Another time they they just used uh, some roofing or some weird material for the stage floor right a lot of these and places we, are funky funky went right places. through it well thank god better days were ahead but i'm still trying to imagine you like being totally psyched to go into some like death gig oh it was, it was everything was the best <laughs> really yeah and and the thing that's amazing to me now was the more gear we had the better it was, you know, big stacks of PA and stuff, you know, we just, yeah, man, come on. Let's yeah, right. You're loading, you're please. loading in all your stuff going, yeah, we've got stuff. Yeah. I had an SVT, the full stack SVT. And we had these triumph PA thing and, you know, three vans full of stuff. And we were just, the more we had, the better it was, the more I liked to load in. Wow. Because, I was so proud of it, you know. You remember the Dolly Wars in Spock's Beard? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I then still the, win. You still win? I got the aluminum alloy do- Dolly. Okay, so for people don't know, uh, when we were in the early days of Spock's Beard, we would actually rehearse 
in a rehearsal space before we go in to track the record. Very sensible. Yeah, actually. that makes too much sense. Yeah. To actually know the material. To actually know the material, yeah. That was quite a thing. And uh, so everybody would come in. I would fly in, so I don't think I... You know, I didn't have any gear, really. I'd borrow a keyboard or something and go direct. But, every, but you know, first, Al and Dave and everybody, they'd come in, like, with their gear all on these dollies. And then so most of the conversation, a lot of the conversation was like, hey, man, where'd you get those alloy wheels, man? Yeah. <laughs> it was important. Right. When you're a working musician, man, you got to have a good dolly. <laughs> Must have good dolly. Yes, must have good dolly. Wow, you remember that? Must have good car? I remember all that kind of stuff. Wow. Your stories are great. Okay, must have good car. Wow. I, uh, in the 80s, I rented this place in Cagle Canyon. Oh, this is a great story. I just remembered something. I love that place, too. Yeah, it was this really funky house in this canyon. It was, it was, the rent was super cheap. My parents found it, and because they had been trying to sell it, or somebody they knew, one of their real estate friends that was kind of a funny person uh yeah. put in the ad for this house must have good car <laughs> yeah because the hill going up to that place was like 30 degrees or something yeah it had this turn on the it was a canyon road and it had this turn just that just went into my house that people would get stuck on all the time like if people got lost and they came up there because you had to take it wide if you tried to go to the inside of that curve it was too steep, and one of your wheels would get stuck. And I, I remember sitting in that house all the time hearing, oh, somebody's stuck. Got to call the auto club. Okay. <laughs> Happened all the time. It would be that stuck? Like, oh, yeah. Stuck? Wow. Yeah. So that was must-have good car, and we said yeah, that. I still really... say that. I'll be going up something steep, and I'll look at my wife. Must-have good car. Yeah, it's a good thing I must have a good car. Right. <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> totally. Okay, so flash forward. Now, Dave gets me the gig in the Eric Burden band because Dave was Eric's uh, bass player and road manager for 100 years or so. And, yeah, uh, almost. Yeah, and so, and then one of the tours that we did, uh, Canned Heat was opening in Europe. Remember that? Yeah. Canned so, Heat. So, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> so I had heard it had been rumored that this house in Cagle Canyon had once been rented or owned by the Can Heat guys and that they used to play there. Wow. Yeah. They said that at the hideaway, that little bar, the one bar in that canyon. Anyway, so I get in the it was so we flew into Hamburg or I flew into Hamburg. You guys had a different routing. And then I was to get Dave would do these itineraries. They were so great. They were so great. I didn't understand anything about touring at that time, really. I hadn't, yeah. done, I hadn't really done hardly any. And da so Dave's itineraries were like, wait at baggage, asterisk, asterisk, all in bold. You know, it's like all this stuff. He would send out these booklets, you know, because it was really before the internet, right? Herding cats. That's what it is. <laughs> and I was like, wow, why do you have to say it like that? He's like, trust me. Like nobody reads these things. <laughs> Right. <laughs> anyway, so my instruction was to to get my bags and go find the canned heat bus. And they were going to take me to the hotel while everybody else was. Anyway, so I get in the canned heat bus. And uh, they turn, I asked them about the Cagle Canyon house. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, we used to we used to be there. But the best part was when they got in the bus, <laughs> they all started taking like the stuff out of their underwear. <laughs> <laughs> they all were hiding joints and stuff in their in their in their private areas. <laughs> oh man. Oh. Okay, right. That segues great into Eric. Yeah. Oh man, Eric. What a, what a fun, great gig. How how much fun he was, man. He was yeah. great. Yeah, he allowed, he insisted on each guy being individualist, you know, it's like, don't just play it like the record. He'd get pissed if, if you just played it like the record. Right. He wanted each guy to just go for it as hard as they could. Yeah. Like that, was he, the, that was the only direction he ever gave me. Cause when I came into the band, I was replacing somebody that I soon gathered was quite um, flamboyant and kind of like, you know, maybe the, I don't know what you'd say, like the, uh, the Keith Richards to his Mick Jagger or something, you know? Yeah, that was uh, that was Larry, who's a guitar player, 
we had two guitar players and, and we no were trying to player. yeah and we were trying to introduce keyboards back in but eric was really turned off to keyboards for a while and we had to say well neil he's a really good keyboard player and as good or better of a guitar player plus he sings great and he's a rocker and everything it's like you have to get it you have to have this guy i'm a rocker you were a rocker. You still are a rocker. We're old rockers, but we're still rockers. Right? Yeah, I had the hair and everything at that time. Yeah, and it's a spirit. You know, it's a it's a yeah. vibe. Right? Sure. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, but he was very wary about having keyboards in there. So, well, okay, we'll try it. Thinking that okay, well, he's probably going to end up on guitar most of the time. You know. Yeah, yeah. I had to bring. But both. yeah, you're I right. Remember. He was he was totally Eric's foil, Larry. He was they'd go off each other a lot yeah yeah so i felt the pressure of that i didn't know how to fill that space and all he ever said to me was find your space man yeah. find your space which i thought was it's kind of legendary for me i thought that was totally cool yeah yeah he would say stuff without saying it a lot and and what I noticed about him, too, is you had to listen to him, what he would say on stage during the gig. Like he'd be taught, he's doing these those little raps. Sentences. He'd do those raps. Yeah. And what he would say were his most inner thoughts. And you had to really pay attention because sometimes it was about the band or sometimes it was about what he was really feeling or going through. A lot of times I felt like it was almost like he was preaching and it was church. Yeah. You know, he's talking about love. Remember the German guy? <laughs> I will do. I will do. <laughs> what was that? He was a, you know, love will make you do things that you do not ordinary, you would not ordinarily do. And the guy yells out, "I will do." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was trying to find my space in the band. I was so happy to be in the band in the in the beginning, especially. It was the first. Thank you so much, Dave, because it was the first uh, decent money that I ever made playing music. Yeah, it was a good gig, and you know, getting treated well, staying in nice hotels. I was, I was kind of like, there's this uh, scene in A Night at the Opera, the Marx Brothers, where there were they've been stowaways and they've been starving, and then they just walk in to where there all the musicians are eating, and they just walk through the line and they just start stacking all this food up. And he's <laughs> like, he's like, what? That was yeah, kind of that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I was with all the stuff, and I probably maybe I partook a little too much in the beginning, but. It was a uh, it was a fun gig. Yeah, but I was trying to find my and, space. Right, and good good crowds too. Really energetic. Yeah, it yeah. Had good. Everything was good. It yeah. was a good gig. It was a good gig. So we're playing at the. At, it was the night that that uh, Edgar Winter opened up, or we were on the same bill. I don't know if it was opened up. It wasn't that a was that a bikers thing up in Michigan? Do you remember when Edgar Winter oh, played yeah. and? I can't remember where it was, but I remember that. I remember I'm, Edgar gave me a big hug. He, I was just, I, I'm a big fan, and I was off stage, and he came off and just, just gave me this big hug before he went to the dressing room. Never said a word. It oh, was, that's cool. It was really wow. cool. I, I, I think I, I probably drank a bit and before the gig, and Jaeger, and yeah, Jaegermeister, and uh, I felt like I finally like really found my space like when it came time for me to do guitar solo i went way out to the edge of the stage and i was i was just rocking out the hard the whole the whole gig i felt like man th th i i finally got there you know yeah. and uh the next day we were driving it was me and you and dean i think right and you said you you made a you made some kind of a joke about me upstaging eric or something like that i can't really remember. yeah i can't remember what it was and uh, I think this is an important story because I learned from this. Um, and I said, ha, 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 you're kidding, right? And you and Dean both went, no, not really. That, oh, was, wow. that was a bit too much last night. And I was really hurt because <laughs> I felt like, oh, I'd finally got there, you know? Right. That's uh, that's a shock. That's a shock. I was shocked. This. And I, at first, you know how you do when you get some correction. You know, first I got kind of mad. And I, I didn't say anything. I just went like, oh, okay, you know. But later on, we talked about it, and you were like, well, being a side man is its own art form. Right. 
You got to know when, when it's your time to go, you go hard. But the, you got to keep an eye on the main man all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, and so that you're back and then you come out and then you go back. And it's, right. a, and it's not just about what you're doing. It's a vibe. Yeah. And I learned by watching somebody else. When I first got in that band, I was still like a wild man kind of. And everybody in the band was going crazy all the time. But this one guy was going a little bit too far. And he'd, he'd upstage Eric, kind of, depending on the gig. You know, sometimes he did it pretty regularly. And he got fired. You know, Eric was just, how did he grow that guy? You know, right. I'm trying to sing and this guy's in front of me, you know, and it's like he, Eric got pissed and fired him. Right. So that's, I kind of learned, it's like, okay, that's, that's past the limit. You know, you can't do that. Oh man, but back to Eric's raps. All right. Okay, yeah. man. Do you remember when we were playing in Jackson Hole, Wyoming? Yes. And, the, yeah. and, and he starts doing a gun control rap. Yeah. I think in what was it in the bringing on home to me? That was where he'd usually usually do his, his longest story, right? <laughs> and he never wanted to play spill the wine, right? Remember, it was like, come on, man, everybody loves spill the wine, but you know, when he started to spill the wine, everybody, the whole place, you man, that was you know, what a fun song, right? And uh, so we're playing up in Wyoming, and he starts going. I remember him saying. You're going to have to put away those guns, boys. In a hunting town. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that's how they make their living, right? And it's just like, you could feel the vibe. Yeah. Wow. I thought they he were going to get away with anything, though, Eric. I thought they were going to kill us. And we came off stage for our, you know, we had like a three song encore, I think it was. We came off stage in Jackson Hole, and the audience is like, not into it. Crickets, right? Yeah, and it's always embarrassing to go and just do an encore, right? When, no, when they're not really asking for it, <laughs> and we're just sitting there like, "Well, Eric, what do you want to do, man?" I, I, I was feeling like, "Let's just call it." It's this is a this is a bad gig, and sometimes you just got to accept it's a bad gig. And he looked at me and said, "Spill the wine." It's like, <laughs> no way. It was like Christmas when he wanted to spill the wine. <laughs> I remember all this insane story about, and then I went down to Chapultepec, the heart of the metropolis. Remember that? Like he changed the whole story in the middle and the whole thing, you know. The wheels fell off the truck. <laughs> right. <laughs> Traveling from hotel, motel, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, that was really fun. Oh, were we in another band together? Were we in Spock's? Yeah, for a minute, for a minute there. <laughs> it was a rehearsal right. band. We never really did any gigs. See, this is just musicians talk, having coffee and talking about stuff. So The good old days. So Spock's, Whoa. yeah, I talked to some, uh, we talked a little bit in the Alcast about the starting of Spock's. We knew you uh, mainly from Steve Klong. Right? Or did we know you exactly. before your yeah. association with him? No, it was through Steve and and John, too. John Beghold was his... Because they were roommates. They were roommates, yeah. right. Yeah. Steve Klong was a drummer, and we met, and so, uh, I, I met him out of the Recycler. He We were looking for drummers, I think, in the early 80s um, for uh, Casanova, our Styx Journey band. And Steve yeah. came along, and I. Everybody wanted him. I actually didn't really want him because I thought he was an over player. Um, yeah. But uh, he, Steve, was a great drummer, and uh, Dave and Steve became kind of a, a team around L.A. Yeah, right in the perfect time for that kind of stuff, though the beginning of the '80s. Yeah. It was it was kind of that, but with the blues bluesy added, it was cool. Um, but you grew up in what Modesto or? Where, what's no, small, in Sacramento. Well, no, actually, I moved around a lot. I was born in Salinas, California, which is near Monterey. Okay. And I moved around to various Northern California little towns. Right, like Cloverdale or? Cloverdale and Calistoga and yeah. Watsonville. Watsonville, and... man, those are great towns. 
Yeah, Russian River and the Napa Valley and stuff. They were cool. Yeah. And then um, went to college at UC Berkeley and then moved to Sacramento. Did you graduate and from then UC moved... Berkeley? No, I went three years there. And I started playing bass in UC Berkeley. Um, and I was in this band with these guys, my first band. And they started moving to the Sacramento area, and I started really hating Berkeley. Mm. And uh, I just didn't fit in there at the time. And uh, so, you know, I was a business major, and it's like, why Berkeley? You know, why am I even here? We're playing and started playing in Sacramento a lot, and everybody I met in Sacramento I liked. And so I just moved. I finished my last year at Sac State. Yeah, so then you wound up in Sac, but at what age? Uh, let's see, 21, I think it was 21. Did you have 20... new wave hair? Not then, no. And it was like, that was 78, 77, 78. Oh, okay. So I had, yeah. I had hair kind of like I do now, but it was, you know, better because I was younger. Oh, it was It better? was really dark, really dark and just long. And I had this handlebar mustache like Spinal Tap. Oh, Yeah. Derek, Derek Smalls, right? Totally. Yeah. Everybody was wearing like, you know, striped stuff. And I used to have my have to buy women's clothes because they didn't have cool guy rocker clothes. And the whole thing like Zeppelin and all those bands were really happening and, you know, kind of androgynous looking stuff. So I just buy like, you know, ladies tops, you know, with like tiger stripes and stuff on it and. <laughs> satin pants right oh yeah yeah i had a lot of that stuff well, too that's the thing that i really kind of am disappointed about with the last i don't know 10 15 years no one dresses up to play gigs anymore you just like come off the street and get up on stage right bands you really deck out to get up on stage even in clubs you'd right. be just rock fully rocked right yeah that's true that's true i've I had parachute pants and, you know, all I had all that stuff. I mean, well, before that, it was platform shoes. Yeah. In the, in the 70s, I had platform shoes and, you know, baggy, you know, whatever was the rock fashion of the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's funny. So then you moved to L.A. and then you're playing gigs. And, what you know, what Al and I uh, thought when we were trying to put this Spock's Beard band, what the band together that would become Spock's Beard. Because it was many years before we became Spock's Beard. Because it was like 91, I think, when we were trying to find players for the prog demos that I had written. Yeah. And uh, Al mentioned you, and I thought, oh, Dave's never going to want to do this. There's no money in this. Because you were like a working right. working musician. I was desperately trying to be that. Right. Yeah, and you—I thought you were—I thought of you as being one of the, like a very successful LA musician doing you doing. Oh sessions man, and I was gigs. struggling hard. Really? Yeah, I would take every single gig I could. I didn't think that anybody like you would, you know, as great and as esteemed as you would want to do <laughs> Spock's beer. That's true. And uh, but Al was the engine at that time. Yeah, he was like. Yeah, yeah, that's great, man. People are going to want to play it. It's going to it's going to be great. And and so, did he contact you? Yeah, yeah. It was wild. I was, you know, the the weird thing, the weird story was, I had been playing with Eric for close to three years already, and I used to do a whole bunch of gigs, different gigs all over the place, anything that came up. And when I started traveling a lot, all the other stuff just kind of like fell by the wayside that's how it goes because that's what happens yeah and i was playing like you said you know i was playing the same set every night and but it was a was short kinda... set man it was a short set yeah i mean like, i was used to those i was used to those nine to one thirty gigs yeah. you know so for me it was like we're done yeah basically like one set you know one yeah. long set and you're done it was killer yeah, I got used to that. It was hard going back. I do those, I do weddings and stuff now, and it was like, whew, these are hard now in my fifties and sixties. You know? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember, you know, being in Eric, and I was starting to get bored. 
musically. It's like I just do the same thing all the time. And uh, I remember really clearly thinking, I need something that's going to kick my ass musically. I need something to shake me up. Wow. Something way, way out of my comfort zone. I really need it or else I just can't really keep playing. And like Al called like the next week after I had this thought. It was one of those thoughts that you have, you know, that's really clear. It's not just some thought that passes. It was really clear. And then Al calls and he goes, he didn't even say they were looking for anybody. He goes, hey, man, how's it going? I go, Al, hey. And he said, well, you know, me and me and Neil did this thing and it's pretty cool. You want to check it out? I'll send you a tape. And so I said, yeah, sure, send it. And I put it on and I got it. And I go, this is not like anything I've ever done. And it's kind of bizarre, but I like it. Huh, cool. You know, Alan Neal, good job, you know. And then he calls a couple weeks later and he goes, did you listen to that tape? I go, yeah, it was really good. He goes, well, you know, we're going to have a rehearsal. Do you want to come by and like kind of play? And you know, <laughs> really sounds, mellow, like I was. Yeah, that's that'd be and, totally how he would do it. You want to kind of like and come was, and and play, maybe. <laughs> and I was thinking, this is going to be really hard to learn, but I asked for this, so I'm going to do it. You know, and and so. Um, yeah, you, you used to come in with all the stuff written out in your vernacular. Yeah, and my little hieroglyphs, my petroglyphs. Yeah, and. Uh, so I spent all this time learning the stuff, and it was back in the cassette days. And you had copied it on a cassette player that wasn't quite the right speed. Oh, really? And my, cass- my cassette player wasn't quite the right speed either in the opposite direction. So I learned all of this material, the entire album of The Light, I learned it a half step wrong. <laughs> I didn't know that. And... and uh, so I was all ready to go. And I based it on, I remember what I based it on. I was going uh, on the edge, that first riff. It's like really easy to play in G and really hard to play in F sharp. That one. Oh, yeah. I was trying to think, what's the first thing the bass plays? Yeah. I forgot about that. So I go, well, that, was, that would be written in G. It wouldn't be written in F sharp. So I just based everything on that. And I learned the entire light album in the wrong key, a half step, which is hard to transpose in your head. Right. And I show up at rehearsal. It's like I rehearsed the, you know, I just, I'm ready. Here we go. And I play in. It's like, oh, no, (laughs) I'm screwed. What do I, and I panic so hard instead of just saying to you guys, look, I learned everything in the wrong key. Hang on a second. Tune, tune, tune. Okay, let's go. I'll relearn it later. Right. But at least I can get through. I tried to transpose it in my head as we went along. And I remember being so depressed after that because I screwed up so badly. And I was going, these guys were hoping that I was going to be good. And I've just failed miserably. Gosh, I, mean, I don't remember that those- at all. Oh, where was the rehearsal? Was, was the rehearsal at my? It was at VC, it was VCS. That oh, was at VCS. Okay, yeah. And it was just like, well, you know, I did ask for getting my ass kicked, and I've just gotten my ass handed to me <laughs> on this big silver platter. Here you go. You wanted this. Now wow. learn everything again. And I was, I was going. Those guys are going to hate me. I can't even call them. I can't even talk to these guys anymore because I sucked so hard. <laughs> and, and then I can't remember if it was Al or you or something. So, hey, we're doing another rehearsal. You know, can you do it? I was, and I went, I guess I wasn't that bad. <laughs> or I was that bad, but they're being kind to me or something. They're giving me another chance. <laughs> and so I learned everything in the correct key and came back. And the rest is history. Hey. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't also- remember that at all. I just re- I remember thinking, I didn't know if you were going to be the right guy for the gig because I thought of you, you were doing mostly funk stuff. Right, that was and my whole thing. Then. That, that was your whole thing then. Um, was, was There's a totally different tone, a totally different thing. You know, I was doing this, 
when I did the demos, I put the bass through that Digitech yeah. you know, oh, distortion yeah. thing and with a wah-wah all on treble, you're just trying to get the really gnarly sort of Chris Squire-ish sound. And uh, I just didn't think that you were going to be into that. And then, of course, obviously you were because now I just listened to some Pattern Seeking Animals and uh, like that Autumn song. It's like the song's going along, it's really nice and stuff, and there's this gnarly bass. <laughs> there's this Dave Maros, like, you you developed, you took kind of where I had, you know, what I had put on some of those demos, and you, you took it to a, your own level, man, a different place. It's really cool. Yeah, the thing, the thing that I liked about your bass tone, it had, this is going to sound weird when I describe it, but it had a certain temperature to it. Hmm. It sounded... It sounded hot and not not like in I I can't describe this. You know how Eddie Van Halen would see colors for sounds? Yeah. I see te- I see temperatures. Oh wow. I've never I didn't know that. And your bass had this hotness to it. <laughs> Sounds really funny to say, but it sounded like it was very I don't know. I have a visual of some kind of a fiery thing, you know? Uh-huh. And I always tried to get that temperature. And I was like, damn it, Neil, how do you do that? And he was like, oh, I don't know. I use this thing. I remember I found one. GSP-5. I found one. It's like, I have this thing, this holy grail. And I tried it, and I couldn't get... There's something in, you know, your base and your hands and and stuff. All so right. I had to develop... Yeah, well, a lot room. of times it is. You know, there's all these factors. I was playing a uh, the only Rip bass I had grabber. at that time it was the, the Gibson Grabber, which we still have. It was, somehow I wound up with that when we all, when me and Alan Richard divided up the gear we had when we were kids. I wound up with that. And I, that's one of the only things I think I still have from that, from my childhood, um, wow. as far as gear goes. But yeah, I was using that and through the GSP. And then I usually put a Wawa all on treble, which doesn't seem like yeah, you'd, get, you'd get enough bass to even make it sound like a bass. But well, it was really thin. Yeah. It was very thin. But the GSP was really dark. And you had to do the Wawa on treble to add the high end. Right. But it also adds some crispiness to it. Yeah. It was so, a thing, man. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about uh, Nick when you first came in? And so you, you would have met Nick at VCS then? At the, yeah. re- the rehearsal studio? Yeah. Yeah. I was just going, these guys are, this is great. I have to, I have to get my stuff together. You know, I have to learn everything and actually the right key and, and try to match these guys. Wow. Yeah. That's funny. Cause I was, was th- I was thinking, wow, how can we, you know, we're not going to be able to get people as good as Dave is what I was thinking. Man, what a facade I must put on. Cause <laughs> No, you you didn't act like that. You were always really, really humble and nice. No, that was just, just you know, that's that just I'm what weird. I thought about your playing and and your standing. You know. Yeah, I think with me is like, uh, well, <laughs> this is another weird thing, another weird comparison. Oh, good, good. We like weird. You know, yeah, you know how you've seen the video. You know, they, the heartwarming news story where the where the kid with down syndrome is the basketball team's manager. Right. Yeah. And yeah. the last, the last game of the season, they give him the ball and he, and he makes a basket and the whole crowd, the stadium just goes nuts and he's on their shoulders. And I always felt like that kid. <laughs> I do something minimally good and everyone cheers. Really? I do something. Yeah. Wow. I have imposter syndrome. Like you would not believe, especially as I get older. Because I used to think I was good, you know, back when I wasn't good. But then as I got better, I started thinking I was worse. <laughs> really? So, so now it's just like, I'm just going to try really hard and make it through. That's that's my philosophy now. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm I, know, I didn't know that. I, I always thought that you were, you know, man, I mean, you were out there doing it. You were and you were doing like A-list gigs, and, uh, you know, I thought you were one of the best play, best place players that I knew of in, in L.A. That's how I thought of you. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. How, well, that's, what I was, that's what I was trying to be. 
Yeah, well, you had me fooled. Yeah, good. See, <laughs> it was working. No, you were always really nice, though. It was, uh, and and Nick was too, you know. So it was yeah. that was a cool thing. Uh, also about Spock's, it was, it was such a good vibe, such a good camaraderie, you know. And then when we brought Rio yeah. in, you remember the first album I did all the keyboards, and then right. we brought Rio in to help us do Progfest. Or not Progfest. Was it called Progfest? Yeah, it was Progfest in L.A. In L.A., But you guys right. did those couple gigs. You did, you did those couple gigs uh, before I was in the band. We did? With Rio. Yeah. Before before recording The Light, you did a couple gigs with John Ballard on bass. Really? Yeah. John Ballard. I remember John. Yeah. And you did, I, I can't remember, maybe two gigs or something. And then there was a big hiatus. It was like, okay, we did the gigs. And uh, Rio was in that. And then you, way later, I can't remember, months or maybe even a year later, it's like, let's record this. And then you recorded it, doing all the keyboard parts. And that's that's when I came in. Really? Man, I don't remember that at all. I thought you were always maybe, the guy. Maybe that was an urban legend. No, no, I think that's... that's you're probably right. You know, my memory isn't that good, you know. Um, and I was partying a lot in those days, so I don't there's a lot of stuff I don't remember. But yeah, I think it was like, you know, just like, wouldn't this be cool to play live? Yeah, let's do it. And you got a band together and did a couple live things. It's like, okay, we did it. See you guys. Right. Right. I think well, we just were just trying of... to figure out what to do with it, you know. There wasn't a lot of interest. And there was this company that we were talking to. We were trying to get a deal, and it was a really lame deal. But we almost did it. Thank God we didn't do it, because we would have been sorry. I remember that all the stuff they wanted you to edit out in the lyrics. Yeah, all kinds of. It was a crazy contract, so we didn't do that. And thank God. And and so we wound up uh, just putting it out through Greg Walker's little label. Right. And uh, and then when I found out that Greg would buy the product from me, that's when I started Radiant and. Uh, and then we made Beware of Darkness, a lot of which we recorded in your house in Venice. Right. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Doing the... We didn't have any... I, I wanted to hear wood blocks on Thoughts, and we didn't have right, any... Right, coffee cups. Yeah, so we're hitting coffee cups. There's a picture of us hitting coffee cups, I think, in your in your living room. Yeah. And we were working... Yeah, remember, the, remember the bass solo in Walking on the Wind? We were working on that for so long that Rose finally came in, your wife, and said, hey, you guys... I think you got it. <laughs> I had this, I, you know, it's like, do a bass solo here. And I was going, okay, well, what do you have in mind? And you kind of gave me a, it's like, well, maybe something really lyrical. And I got started on it. And it's like, I have this idea, but I, I just can't solidify it in my head. And I just kept trying stuff. It's like, that's not it. That's not it. That's not, no, 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 no. This keep. And you were like looking at your watch and, and I and then uh, well I mean then I go go ahead I think I have and I played this thing and you just went what and I go no 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 that's it trust me and you were just going okay go and and I played it and and it turned out that was the last half of the solo oh I love that I love the second half that's great well I what we were there was two things going on with Beware of Darkness. Uh, the light took so long to make. It was so difficult to get everything done on the light that I decided, hey, I'm going to schedule this out and we're let's let's just I'll fly out to California and we'll make the whole album in three weeks. I I figured it all out. We can do the drums in this many days, you know. And it was, it didn't really. It was it was so crammy towards the end. It was. It yeah. did, that didn't really work either. It was too short. Things took longer we than I thought. A lot. We rehearsed a lot for that one too. Yeah. So we went we cut the basics quickly, but the rest of it, I mean, it's epic, you know. All the all the overdubbing. I remember getting up at three in the morning and trying to fly this thing in and play some acoustic guitar part in, in the bedroom, your guest room. I had a yeah. little thing rig set up in there, and that's where I recorded Chautauqua. The Acoustic right. guitar piece. Sherry was pregnant with Will and and sleeping yeah. all the time, so she was sleeping. 
<laughs> I always felt like if you maybe turned that up loud enough, you might hear her the sounds of her sleeping because <laughs> she was sleeping. That's kind of a cool. Yeah, that's a really cool visual, though. You know, you sitting in there with this, your wife asleep. Yeah, it's kind of a cool on, vibe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but um, yeah. So that didn't really work. It was too. That was too intense. And then we were just, we were, I was just trying to finish things up just in time to take them up to Kevin to mix the next thing. And I was going to take it. Right. I remember I was going to take one song up that day and I was walking on, I'd go for walks on the beach, walks and runs uh, out there on Venice beach, which was, I mean, that house was awesome. Yeah. That was great with that deck on way up should on the never, top and stuff. Oh my should God. Should have never sold that thing. No, I would be worth like five million by now or something, right? That's two point something million now. Yeah, it's been severely remodeled. It's a really nice, still the same on the outside, but the all inside they gutted it and made it all fancy. Oh yeah, yeah. It was, but it was nice. But, it, I thought you guys had it great. It was cool. It was really yeah. cool. So I'm walking on the beach that morning, and you know, I wasn't really praying then, but I was, you know, I was kind of asking and wondering, you know, about the album and. I remember feeling really strongly in my in inside, you know, my inner voice said, "Have Kevin mix Walking on the Wind," <laughs> and I was like, "Uh, why?" Uh, um, yeah. Okay, so I I went I went back to the house and there were some things on Walking on the Wind that still needed to be done, whatever it was, you know, little things, shakers and whatever. But I I remember just finishing it up and driving up there with the tapes. Of course, yeah. you know. Um, he wound up passing away before he could do yeah. much more, you know. He did what two two songs or? No, he did. Um, time, he went up. Time mix, has he come. Mixed thoughts and walking on the come. wind and time has come, right? Yeah. Anyway, I always thought that was a cool thing. That was the wildest thing in the studio because we had recorded a DI bass track and a mic. Yeah. And he goes, we need we need a track for percussion. What's this track? And I go, oh, that's bass DI. And he goes, you don't need that, do you? And it's like, probably do. I mean, for low end or something, you know? Right. No, listen to the mic track. That sounds fine. Chris Squire, I'm going to race this. Is it okay? Here we go. He <laughs> <laughs> just erased the DI track. I didn't, I, remember, like, wow. I didn't remember that, man. Yeah, it became a thing for a couple albums after that. It's like, D.I., no, we don't need it. Wow. <laughs> hey, back to your bass solo, though. Um, the, I think the reason why it took so long is because we were trying, we kept turning up the compression. We are trying to get that Jocko. It was all yeah. about the sustain. You know, you're trying to get that wow thing. It's yeah. that can be quite a, an elusive tone. Well, especially with that bass, that was just a spare parts bass. Had a uh, Fender Squire neck that I just pulled the frets out with pliers. <laughs> really? And, yeah, I, I filled the gaps with some boat epoxy, and actually, it of turned out. Did. Yeah, <laughs> it turned out to be a really nice bass. I redid it a couple years ago. The fingerboard wasn't quite right for a bunch of years, and it would like fret out, and I'd have to play stuff in different on different strings in different positions. Wow. Sometimes that bass was always a real chore. Mm. But I redid it a couple of years ago. Just on my, I just flattened the fretboard way out, and man, the thing is like pretty good now. It really gets that that singing thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's what. But I mean. That's it is funny. I, I I think we probably spent four hours on that solo, and you'd realize how short it is. No. It was about. It wasn't that nearly that long. No, it's nothing it against seemed, you. That's how recording is sometimes. Sometimes, man, when, no, you're, it, when it, you really got this seemed, thing, you're trying to get this thing exactly how you want it. It can just take a long time, and you'll listen back and go, "Man, I don't remember how short that is." <laughs> right? Yeah. I was. I think it was more like. 45 minutes or something, it, which is a long time for something like that. Oh, really? It might be. It wasn't four hours. Might, might be. <laughs> I would have tried to kill myself if it was four hours. You would have killed me and then killed yourself. <laughs> I thought maybe Rose was going to kill you. 
Yeah, so then we started touring. We did we did the L.A. Prague Fest, and that was like, what was that like for you, man? That was like a coming out party, wasn't it? Oh, I didn't. I thought we were just going to do. Well, I mean, we were all in that same, but we didn't know there was a Prague Rock audience. Right. We were just doing this completely for our own enjoyment with this little distant hope far off. Right. This little candle burning way out in the distance. But I wasn't doing it for any reason other than the challenge of it. And once I got into it, I really liked everybody and I loved the band. I just loved it. It was like great in every way. I was just doing it for myself, really. And um, we played that gig and I remember being totally nervous. It's like this, I've never played a gig like this before. I can't, I'm not going to be the guy that, that boots this, you know? I'm not going to be, I'm going to play really good. And I just wound myself really up. And uh, we came out and there was all these people and they were like cheering and stuff. It's like, my God, this is so cool. This can be a thing. Yeah, we we played the light. And um, when we got to the end, I think they gave us a standing ovation for like 10 minutes. I mean, it was. Yeah, it was. Everybody stood up and it was it was roaring. Yeah, and, and they like, wouldn't, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't stop. On? Yeah, and, and I think I said, I think we found our people. Yeah, and that's yeah, that was great. what a miracle. I know, because that's what you well, need, the whole thing. That's what you need as an artist. You've got to somehow find your people. You know, we didn't know, yeah. we didn't even know they existed. You know, and that was a that was a that was a big event for us. It was a big boost. I mean, a total motivate motivator. Yeah, you to know, know beware that. Beware of darkness. And then when you're writing something, you know that there's going to be people that will actually listen to it. Yeah, and beware of darkness was riding the crest of that gigantic. It was like the Saturn rocket took off, and beware of darkness was traveling at whatever seventeen thousand miles an hour because of that boost. That initial, you know, breaking free of gravity kind of thing. Right, yeah. I remember, I remember the energy. I remember at every record thinking, well, that was the best we could ever do. How could we ever do anything better? I don't know if, yeah. I don't know if you felt that way. Well, definitely after Beware of Darkness. I mean, that to this day is still my favorite. That's one of my favorites too, actually, yeah. If I have a go-to, if I'm going to just listen to a Spox record, that's one. That's one for me that I'll go to. I didn't know that. That's, that's, your, that's yours too. Huh? What's that? Huh? I said I, I didn't. One. I didn't. Uh, I didn't realize it was that for you too. Yeah, that was that had all of that energy behind it, and the songs are just beautiful, and everything about it just was great. You know, this the, every the mixes and you know doing some of it at at Frank Rosato's studio we did basic tracks there and then some mixes also yeah and Frank's the coolest guy yeah yeah that was and great I had a, that was real serendipity for me for the bass tone because I had gotten that GSP5 and it wasn't working out for me and I brought it I had just gotten it I went into that Frank's studio and had my bass amp set up and mic'd and was like it's not happening. It's, it doesn't sound right. Oh, no. And I was like really depressed over my sound on that record. And it turned out it wasn't what I was going for, but it was really cool. Hmm. And was, that's a really cool sound looking back. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it sounds great. I think it sounds great. Yeah. So, yeah. We, and then we kept going. And, we, and then a little bit later, we started touring in Europe. Remember the first Europe tour playing that first gig yeah. in that basement place? Blue, Blue Note, or what was it called? Blue something? I don't know. I really it was a jazz know. club. Yeah. That, and we were, there was big pillars. Those that big we were pillars, like, yeah. <laughs> it was fun, though, man. Was, we were so, so excited, excited to be touring for the first time in Europe, right? I really thought that we were going to take over the world. You know, I mean, it was a genuine feeling. Really? It's like, we're going to go in and we're building it, and this is the beginning of it. It's just going to keep going and going and going, you know? Yeah. 
people are going to wake up and realize that this is the thing now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, and then uh, you know, of course, then it builds, and then we're you know the, the another historic gig was the the actually headlining the London Astoria. Yeah. Uh, the, at the on the five album was it, or maybe yeah. I don't know. We didn't tour the five album very much, did we? I don't know. I don't remember what don't, album it was, but might have been. I think I have somebody made a bootleg recording of that, and I have it. Oh really? Oh, yeah. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I'll, I'll 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 send you it. Yeah, that'd be great. And they called they called it. They made out artwork for it and everything. They called it. I wish we were still in June. Huh. Well, that's cool. How is it? Is it as good as we remember? It's pretty good. And you can hear, I don't I think it was probably the guy that recorded it or somebody standing next to him or something. There's comments every once in a while. It's like epic. You know, I mean, you hear like these group comments and not, not very often, but a couple of them. It's like, Oh, that's fantastic. You know, some British accent thing. <laughs> right. I remember but, Pete, Pete Travis from, uh, Marillion, uh, was there. I think, pretty sure he was there at that gig and he said i don't know i just thought these these guys are the most this is the most mad thing i've ever seen like there's <laughs> there's these crazy guys just running around you know because remember <laughs> rio would run around and al would yeah. run around and i'd be running around and you know then nick would come out front and you know we were just i mean you were that you were like the solid guy you know you didn't do a lot of running around but he's made it sound like it was just like these guys are doing this crazy the craziest music i've ever heard and running around like mad men <laughs> yeah that that would be probably the best gig i've ever played wow you know no, it's definitely a, it's definitely on my list of best gigs i've ever played too that was a bit uh, we both came off stage and cried didn't we i couldn't even talk for like five or ten minutes after that you were just like going man great gig and i was just like oh I was stuck. I couldn't speak a, a syllable of English. <laughs> I think all you could say was, man, it was just so huge. Yeah. You know, it was huge. Yeah, when the, we kick into the end of, you know, maybe, I don't know, Walking on the Wind, or I don't know, remember what. But, you know, a lot of the songs, most of the songs had those big endings with the bass pedals, you know. And, right. uh, oh, yeah. I oh, felt I felt beautiful, like beautiful. no one in the band was capable of screwing up at, on that gig. It was like no matter what, everyone's going to be perfect, you know. And it just sounded so good on stage, and the crowd was just going crazy. I felt like I was almost out of body, you know. I yeah. couldn't really feel playing. It was just happening. Wow, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember crying after that gig just to like, uh, really, in a, you know, you don't even know why you're moved. You don't know why you're crying, really. I don't, I couldn't have put words to it, but now I would say, I think the main feeling is just being really grateful. Right. That We're you, experiencing something awesome. Yeah, to get... Realizing... Yeah. You know, realizing what your whole life has been about, maybe... Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, that the, this is what you always wanted. And, you know, for me, it would be like, and God made a way for you to have it. You know, and and you ne and especially being as old as we were. Right. It'd be like, man, I never thought. I never, I mean, I used to dream of it, but I, for me, I had given up on the dream. Yeah. And there we were was, doing it doing it our way. Right. Right? Doing doing it for the right reasons just cuz you loved it and you know the passion and the power of it and and I never thought I never thought I'd be there, man. And there we were. Yeah, I I never thought that I would never be there, but I realized what a long shot it was and that I was already in my 40s, I guess, probably by that time. 
Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was like, just, just think if this actually takes off, you know, for all of the reasons that you just said, how perfect that would have been. But no, but no. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, I don't know. Still, we probably don't want to get into all that, but I, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry that I felt what I felt. And I, I, I felt like <laughs> I had to do what I had to do and, you know, and move on from the band. Um, I felt like that was what the Lord was asking me to do. And I was, but I was sorry to, you know, always sorry to do anything that was going to hurt you guys and hurt you, you know, particularly in particular. Well, you know, it, it, everything always works out. I mean, it made us all step up, you know, I looked at it really philosophically for a long time. It's like, we kept going, you know, we all had to step up to fill that gigantic chasm and, um, you know, everybody started writing more and the whole thing, you know, Nick got to be a front man and, and, uh, you know, we kept going. Yeah. You guys did a lot of good, did a lot of good stuff too. Yeah, it was only many years later when I was talking to Thomas and he told me how many records that Snow sold, how many copies. I was like, what? Because it did pretty good. We yeah. were on the verge. Yeah. I was like, oh, damn it. We were so close. Yeah. One more and we might have been, you know, we would have might have been that broken through that ceiling. I knew but, all of that, too. I mean, that was the big battle within me. You know, it's like, what an insane thing to be, you know, dreaming and working and writing and sweating your whole life to try to get to a place where you can do what you love and support your family, basically. And I get there, and then I feel like the Lord's like, okay, now it's time to do something else. I'm like, wow. That was really hard. But, you know, it's been really good. And I appreciated what you you sent me an email once that said, Hey, thanks for doing all the work that you did. So, cause now when I'm writing stuff for Spock's beard, you know, we know we have this audience and that's partly because of you and your efforts. And you know, it was really a nice, yeah, that was a really nice, nice email you sent. Yeah. You created this thing and then just handed it to us. I was like, Oh, okay. Thanks. Let's go. Woo-hoo. Well, <laughs> that is never how I looked. I thought like we built it together, man. Well, yeah. I mean, it was a group effort, but it was all, you know, there's always an inspiration at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that was the thing too, man, as I was, you know, praying that whole time about, you know, not wanting to quit. You know, there was a lot, there was a lot of me that didn't want to. And a lot of that was about, uh, you know, like I, I felt almost like we were war buddies. Yeah. Like we'd been through the trenches together. You know, we'd been through right. the the really crazy bad gigs, the should we go on? We been we went through a lot of those within Spocks with a lot of times with gear stuff. Like, yeah. you know, that I don't need to go into it, but just like there was a lot of, you know, a lot of hard things that we went through. We played a lot of really small gigs and lost a lot of money and all that stuff and then we built this thing together and uh you know i i really appreciated uh everybody's artistry everybody's friendship and also that that spe- there's no camaraderie like that oh man we had such good times yeah it's hilarious stuff oh hilarious stuff i mean what <laughs> when like after the gig at that place Tivoli in in Utrecht, Rio just there's all these Dutch guys. You know the Dutch are pretty calm yeah. people, right? They're just sitting around after the gig, like sipping their tea right. in this With room. Their coffee, right? And and Rio just runs into the room, leaps up onto the table, and starts to describe various acts that he would like oh, them yeah. to do to him. <laughs> right? <laughs> and they're just like, who is this guy? He was just completely insane. And, and there was like one of the funniest, some of the, some, some of the funniest stuff that's ever, I mean, there was a lot of funny, funny. I things. just remembered one. It was, uh, we were upstairs somewhere 
It may have been uh, <laughs> with the wax. It was the, in, the interview, yeah. <laughs> that poor guy, and he played along with it. He was great. This, this guy comes to interview the band, and we were just like out of our minds. We had him like take his shirt off and threw him down on a table, and we're pouring like hot wax on his back. <laughs> and I, I had a knife, and I was like pretending like I was going to stab him. <laughs> and you were horrified. I remember looking at you, and you're just going, "Come on, guys, this is an interview." You weren't saying that, but you had that look on your face. Did I really? I was like, ah! Everybody was just going insane. We had and we were just laughing. laughing, and the guy was yeah. totally going along with it. He, it's probably on on online somewhere. It's some deep chat. I thing, know that you know? guy. I met that guy. He came to like a couple of my church services in Berlin. Wow. Yeah, he's like, "Do you remember me?" I'm like, "You look really familiar. I'm that guy that you guys poured on wax." <laughs> <laughs> we were the bad boys of Prague. We for were. Sure. We were like maniacs. We were like in our you know late thirties and stuff, early forties, just like going nuts. Yeah. Everybody else before us, you know, the the big days of Prague rock were over, and there were still Prague rock bands, but they were all like really serious musicians, right? Yeah. And we came out and was like, look, this can be really fun too. Yeah. Let's just yeah. blow it, blow the doors open. Here we are. Yeah. We're loud and we swear and we drink and we play prog rock and <laughs> yeah we we went pretty crazy man it was uh, <laughs> but it was really fun what a fun yeah fun band yeah so so what are you doing now Dave well the last year not much I've been doing some uh, one of Rob Aubrey's clients you know I've been doing really? albums for him. Oh, that's yeah, great. He's got this, yeah, he sends me work. I love Rob. And, you know, Rob Aubrey was little... a guy who was running sound at the Astoria. He was our sound guy in Europe. Rob. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's this guy that records like two albums a year. And so I play on those for him. And I did a couple of those during the whole quarantine thing and did some of those stupid, you know, split screen videos that everybody's doing. And right. Yeah. Yeah. This place, this house is on an acre, and that's a pain in the ass. There's always something to do, something breaking or something that needs this or that. Right. Cool. And uh, I listened you know, to, so uh, I listened to some of the Pattern Sinking Animal stuff. I thought that, uh, what is it, uh, We've Got to Run, or what's it What's it called? Oh, why, why, why Don't We Run? Yeah, Why Don't We Run. Uh, that's a catchy, catchy that, song. That is. Know? Yeah, that was one of those ones that I was wondering about. And it's one of those ones that just came together. And when I was tracking it, it was like, this song is really fun. This cool the song. chorus, the chorus is just has so much propulsion to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good chorus. Really like it. It's full on. If it was in the eighties, that would have been a hit. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good one. So we're working on, working on album number three right now. Oh, great. Um, great. Bass and drums are done for maybe half of it. And yeah, John's been on a roll the last few years. He's been writing some really good stuff. That's awesome. His writing is, you know how writing your chops kind of, his chops have really clicked into a different gear the uh, last couple of years. That's great, man. I, really, I really like what I've been hearing. It sounds great. Yeah. Cool stuff. Yeah. Well, brother, that's probably long enough, I guess. How's that for an ending? Yeah, probably too long. <laughs> you got an editor, so that's always good. Yeah, we got an editor. But yeah, that was that was really great, man. And it's so good Edit talking with you. the boring parts where we're getting all emotional. Oh, yeah, man, the good old days. <laughs> that was good, though, man. That music is emotional. We ought to be emotional about that. I, I think that's great. Yeah. I, I remember that very well. Us, I remember where we were standing. Because we didn't know if we were going to do an encore yet or not or what, right. I think. So we just pulled around the corner, you and I. Yeah. We, I don't yeah. think anybody else was around because we were on one side. Maybe they were on the other. And I remember that. That was a really profound moment for me. Happy yeah. to share it with you, Dave. Well, yeah. And, and it's great to be doing something that you can have those moments. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, those are the memories we're going to have those yeah 
lots of them. We have lots of memories, good ones and bad ones. And, you know, it's pretty special. Yeah, it is. It is, man. This music thing. This music thing. <laughs> it's deep. I like what my mom said. I just visited my mom. And uh, she's 92 and kind of losing it. But she said, because I had played her a song and I would cried a little bit while I was singing it. And she said, you know, I'm so glad you have this music thing. More than just anything about making a living. It's, it's a life. It's... You know, it's a life purpose. It's a life thing. I'm so glad you have yeah. that. And I was like, absolutely. Way more than anything about the money or the audiences or any of that stuff, you know. And yeah, we've been very blessed, Dave. Very blessed. Yeah. Well, I saw a bumper sticker that said, if you've, if you've uh, reached 60, the age of 60 without growing up, you don't have to. So that's my that's been my motto for the last few years. That's awesome. That's never great. have to. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take that. All right, brother. God bless you, man. Let's get together. Let's talk yeah, thanks again. Thanks for this doing is, this. It's great. Yeah, it's great just talking to you with you and being with you. And all right, man. We'll see you later, brother. Yeah. Say hi to everybody. We'll do. We'll do. Likewise. Right. Ciao. Put on your feet. Put on your face Put these people in their place Check your hat, check your coat Try to keep your checks afloat Don't you crack, cause they might see That you're not who you're supposed to be Keep on firing this hard